what you have to say to us about um, the things that pertain to this life and to life everlasting. Thank you, Lord, that you include the whole spectrum of, of um, concern for us whenever you meet with us. You take care of everything that concerns us. So we do thank you. For that opportunity, thank you, Lord, for the understanding uh, that you're going to bring to us today of your word and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. So I thought yesterday we did speak on faith some, did we not? Yeah, the offense of faith. So, um, you know, just letting you know that there is a price to pay for faith. Uh, there's a proper attitude toward faith. And there's also uh, an offense that will come to the human flesh when faith in God is obtained and when it's exercised. And uh, whether that faith is that that uh, offense comes to you personally or it comes from outside, it comes to other people. Uh, there is an and it's a disruption. It's a conflict of wills. We we said yesterday. So whenever the will of God is in conflict with the will of man, there is an fence that will come to to man we saw it in the pharisees when jesus preached the kingdom uh they were preaching uh the old covenant and he came to sum up the old and make way for the new which was the plan of god and they couldn't receive it amen and so there was that offense there they were offended in him the bible says and then put him to death they say because of evil i mean envy so envy will come also uh, to us from outside because of the richness of the faith of God. When it starts to manifest in a person's life, there is a richness there. But I want to talk some too about some other things connected with faith so that we will be able to discern when the faith of God is in operation in our lives and in the lives of others. And that is the difference between lust and faith. Faith. Uh, you have to make that decision. Are you dealing with a lust in your heart or is there faith in your heart for the thing you desire? And I think this comes up more often than we we care to admit because if, if I know there have been times when I would stop myself in some of the things that I was asking God for and realize that I was too wound up, too uh, involved, too emotional about it, too, it's like you want it too much. And it can never, what we desire from God can never be greater in desire than for God himself. And so when we talk about the difference between lust and faith, then we have to understand uh, what each will produce and why we have to be with to guard ourselves and guard our hearts that we don't get too concerned and preoccupied with a certain thing now it can happen for anything i've seen people that uh when it comes to ministry you know you see lust show up the lust can show up in anything it doesn't have to be for uh, what we always consider to be carnal or worldly things it, the lust for spiritual things can be a poison too and i think that happens a lot more than we care to admit as well um we see people uh um who uh, who have success with what we call success in God's kingdom. That's usually uh, a big church that has a lot of members that's on television. 
and gets a lot of money. And so we'll see others want to emulate that. And you might ask yourself why. It's a good question to ask at the end of every desire that we have is why. You got me? Always be willing to put that question before yourself. You know, um, I want so and so. Well, why do I want that? Uh, is it okay, God? I mean, seldom do we have anybody who wants to put the brakes. Well, I mean, as far as our teachers in the body of Christ, we don't have many teachers who will teach us to put the brakes on some things uh, because it it it's not pleasing to God if his children continue to act like the world. It doesn't please them. It's like, you know, natural parents, you know, you make sacrifices for your children. You uh, You will put... Uh, clothing on their back and you continue to wear the same ones you've been wearing and just you know and you're quite satisfied with that because you're sewing into a greater purpose and that is to give your children uh, a decent life and sometimes we want a better life than we had etc etc and then when they go out and and steal or something like that you just look and say no I didn't raise you to do that you know and I think that's what God looks at us and says sometimes now I didn't save you for you to get out there in the world and start craving the things that you used to crave only it's not quite the same thing but the cravings are there you know in the same measure sometimes it's even worse with Christians because you can start to crave things in a greater measure because the devil helps you to crave them once God has set you free from them and so we we always have to be careful in guarding our hearts against lust that we want it just because you know if you look in the bible and see promises of god and 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 uh, you desire those things uh and then they don't come that's where the devil can get in there and get you uh in, inflamed with desire like somebody's depriving you of something you got to have it you know it's you don't have it yet and it's not going to come and then you're angry at everybody and angry at God and so if we will guard our hearts I believe we won't get ourselves into that snare of the enemy where he wants to uh, discourage us and he wants to get a victory over us based on lack and lust and not of faith. So the, there's a difference between faith and lust. And so we'll talk about that. So if you turn to James chapter 4. We'll see uh, a situation that the the brother of our Lord had to address in the early church. And, and uh, um, uh, the book of James is filled with godly wisdom. And it's a strong rebuke against carnality. And uh, I think some of these rebuke uh, um uh, you know, books in the Bible probably need to be read at almost every, every time you, you start to preach on prosperity or preach on success. You need to add the warnings, you know, the fine print at the bottom of the contract so that people can understand there is a way to go overboard in certain things that pertain to this world. And unless you're talking about winning souls and you're investing everything in the soul winning, there's, because that's, that is a spiritual activity. So you have to decide what's most important in your life. Is it the spiritual or is it the material? And then invest yourself in the thing that 
is important. Learn how to love the things that God loves above all other things. So he says here, from where do wars and fightings come among you? So apparently there was discord in the church. And when isn't there some kind of disagreement among either church people in a congregation or among uh, um, uh, groups of individuals that call themselves Christians there's always some conflict and he says don't they come even from the lusts that war in your members so if you think about it people who say for instance there's a a doctrine in the church and it's it's not correct or it's borderline correct and somebody in the congregation uh, starts to feel that the preacher isn't preaching right and What happens is that they can either go to God with it or ask God to resolve it or just leave it to God. Well, God, I'm not going to sweat it. If you don't tell me to sweat it, I won't sweat it. But then there will come people who want to be more vocal about it, who want to stand in opposition to the person that's in leadership there. And it's a, it becomes a lust for either to be right, to show somebody up to be wrong, to have a certain base of power, to have a certain base of authority. And if they continue to gather those people around them, then they will be in danger of a war breaking out and, and disturbing the, the, the continuity in the congregation, what we call church split. And so those things will happen based on the, the, conflict of wills but then there's a lust to be right driving it or a lust for power driving it or something like that so there's something there in every individual that has to be uh, dealt with and addressed and curbed if we're going to have harmony and have God's harmony uh, in his church and among his people. And he says this, he says, you lust and you don't have. He says, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. So he says, you go through the motions of getting things and obtaining things continually. And you fight and war and you don't have because you're trying to do it in your own power and you don't ask God for it. So he says this, if, see, to me, this is, is very impactful because what we have to do as believers, if we say God is our source, then everything that we desire, we have to petition Him for it. You have to go to God and understand what his will is for you. Other than that, you're going to be fighting and warring and not obtaining. You're going to be trying to ask God for it and not getting it because your your uh, desire is not purified on the altar of God. Uh, you have to put everything before him in the request mode. You know, some people say things like, oh, you don't have to ask God for every little thing. Well, why not? I mean, why not talk to him about everything you want? Why not talk to him? We have to realize as believers, we have an inheritance. 
we don't have a an ATM machine. It's God is not a machine. He's personhood. He's God. He has personality. He has intelligence. He has a plan for us. He has feelings. And so the things that we uh, seek in life cannot be obtained outside of the plan of God for us. It just can't be. And so James says that, that many times we, we're trying to get stuff, we're struggling, we're fighting, we're warring, we're fighting with the, um, insurance company, we're fighting with the mortgage company, we're fighting with the credit bureau, and we're fighting this person, and he's saying, you never get it. Why? Because you are not allowing God to provide it to you as an inheritance. You're trying to grab it yourself. Amen? And and this is interesting because much of our teaching on prosperity and on prospering in God has very little to do with the inheritance factor. In fact, I don't think many ministers understand it. I know I'm trying to understand it better. But when you start teaching personal wealth outside of inheritance in God, you're making a grave error and you're making an error. You're teaching error to the people. You got me? Because we are sons and daughters of God. We have an inheritance. If the the parable about the prodigal didn't teach us anything, it was that this what was was granted to the son that left was his inheritance ahead of time. And so then that becomes a warning to us because look at what it did to him. It ruined him. And it caused him to be even in more poverty. And it caused him to suffer lack when if he had stayed in the house of the father and received what he did as an inheritance, he would have been secure. He would have been okay. Everything works well for you if you follow God's plan. And so if we are teaching principles without relationship, if we're teaching partial truth but not whole truth, we're really robbing people of their inheritance and pretty soon they know it. This is why we've got a big exodus out of the church, folks. These are disappointed people who have been promised that faith works a certain way and then in application they find out it doesn't. And see, they don't know what's wrong, but they have lost heart, they've lost confidence, they've lost why? Because they've been allowed to be, to think that they can believe God for the things of God outside of the inheritance factor. See, when we talk inheritance, nobody wants to talk like that because we think, oh boy, it's going to take a long time, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. But we have a living will in God. We're not waiting for somebody to die to give it to us. He died already. So we are joint heirs with Christ and entitled to all the wealth that he has right now. You got me? As joint heirs, there's no limit on what God will give to those that he considers to be faithful and, and worthy of receiving and, and receiving at the rate and the, the, um, the, the measure that 
that he wants to bless them with according to his laws of inheritance. And so to me, I think it's more beneficial to study his laws of inheritance than to try to get some kind of janky, uh, you know, fake way of manufacturing wealth, you know, by taking a few scriptures out of the Bible. Do you all understand what I'm talking about here? There is a wealth that we all have that's on the inside of us, even in seed form. That wealth has to do with the fruit of God's spirit. Because the Bible says there's no law against these things. Which means that's where your wealth is. Because if you think about it, the things we don't have are probably things that we haven't attained yet because there's some law against it. See, there's a law against desiring something in a lustful fashion because that's not by the Spirit. There's no faith in God there and that law won't work for you because you're violating the law by your lust. But if we will renounce lust... And allow God to bring that to us in the right season. Then we'll be able to gain our inheritance and go on in faith in God and confidence in the fruit of the spirit. Enjoy life. I'd rather have blessings following after me than to be craving things that never come. You got me? And so that's, that's the life that God has planned for us for blessings that that grow up out of you as a result of the character of Christ that's in you that you operate out of every day. So if you operate out of a spirit of love, out of a spirit of humility, all of those things, then God will add things to you. So it's always the kingdom first. It's always seek the kingdom first. And the righteousness of God and things are added. He's never told us to crave things. He's never told us to go after things. He's never told us. It's amazing. We can start to believe God for something he promised. And then the devil will come and try to take it over. You can't have that. Who do you think you are? And then all of a sudden we're out trying to prove that we're supposed, we're entitled to something. When God's already granted it to us. You see see how easy it is to flip over into that mindset of lack and start operating out of that. And so when you find yourself there, you say, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm, I got carried away with myself now. I've gotten anxious about this thing. And you've already told me not to be anxious for anything. So so it's it's beneficial for us to keep things in proper perspective to keep things in proper order so he says when you ask and don't receive in verse 3 because you ask amiss and that amiss means an error that you've missed it that there's there's a, a, a misfiring of your faith there that you may consume it upon your lust. Now sometimes lust means I just want it so I don't have to keep praying for it over and over again. I want it to get it out of the way so I don't have to bother with this faith stuff and all of that. And see that's your, that can be a good sign because that's a sign that your flesh man is getting fatigue. See, you want to wear him out. You want him to stay crucified. You don't want him to gain strength and be encouraged 
to start interfering with your life in God anymore. So that can be a good sign because you'll start to say, well, I must be in the flesh with this if I'm tired of waiting. You know, I must have gotten over into the flesh instead of staying in the spirit where this, this thing will come to pass. It'll come to pass if you keep it in the spirit, but it will not if you, because it'll be consumed by your lust. Lust will burn it up and destroy it. And it will never come to pass for you. He says adulterers and adulteresses know not. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that not only goes for your sexual uh, uh, activity. But also for any other friendship you find with the world. See this is where I believe the church has been in error at times and has been deceived because we don't really realize how friendly we are with the world in our desires. See, It's easy for that crossover to happen. All we have to do is linger on a certain subject too long and you've crossed over into the world. You don't have to, you know, write 15 books on how to be wealthy. You don't have to write 15 books on, on how to have financial prosperity. Now, many times people, people look at people who preach this stuff and they think, look at it and say, well, it must work because look at them. But think about it. If I had a thousand people in here and I encouraged you all to give 10% of what you earn, then I can have lots of wealth, but that doesn't mean you're automatically going to have any. You see what I'm saying? It depends on the system that you create that feeds the well. So if I do that as a minister, I've created a system, amen, that feeds wealth. But do you have one? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, to me, this is like obvious. If, if I could, if you could get a thousand people to give you 10% of what they earn, then you create a system of wealth. Amen? Similar to mine that feeds me. That's why you've seen a lot of pyramid schemes grow up in churches. And the pastor sanctioned them. And most of them fall apart because God is not going to have his gospel merchandise like that. So it was a thing in the 80s and 90s, but you don't even see them anymore. Because number one, internal revenue will come for you. So that's one way to stop it. But it it follows out of the system of, of the tithe that the minister is able to receive wealth from everybody and make himself wealthy, but you don't partake of that system because you can't create that system for yourself. And so really envy created that pyramid scheme that, that we saw grow in many churches. They would have people come in and, and give uh, um, uh, talks on investment. Uh, Bishop Paul Morton 
when he gives his testimony. He doesn't so much anymore because I think God delivered him and sealed that out of his life. He repented and he, he made, you know, restitution as much as he could. But there were times when the enemy, uh, so persecuted him for that and, and, uh, blamed him, uh, that he was extremely depressed for a season. The way he got out of it, he started making worship music again and, and, broke himself out of the guilt and the fear but but they had to repent they had many people come in that church and and offer investment opportunities to the whole congregation many people lost their life savings all that kind of stuff happened because God does not want that among his people you have an inheritance in God. You don't have a scheme to get rich. You got me? God wants lust out of his people. If I go to the grave broke, I want to know that I have done the will of God and given wealth to others and sown into the places God told me to sow into. Amen? Expect your return because that's the word. But don't let lust begin to drive you because it looks okay to want things. Got me? There was a time in the, in the history of the church we were embarrassed to, to talk about the world's goods because we knew we had something far superior. You understand? We didn't preach it. We believed God for it. We knew it was coming, but it came as a result of holy living. Remember that? So with with righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law against that. So if you live out of the Spirit of Christ and do things that are pleasing in God's sight, wealth automatically follows you. You don't have to to prod people to give more. So that we can do more for God. That's one of the biggest lies that's ever been told because the gospel is preached less now than it was when the church talked less about money. People had more when we talked less about it. But nobody wants to tell us that. But you can tell something has happened. Because people have, have gotten dis, disgruntled, uh, they, they, there's tons of people like the, the ministries that have prayer lines and stuff, uh, them phones are ringing off the hook and, and the church pews are empty again. So there's been some there, there needs to become a repentance on the part of church leaders, church people, the ones who have indulged in it, to allow God to be able to cleanse things and get us off to a clean start again. God will do it. But we've got to recognize the error and we've got to understand. And see, there are some people who will fight you tooth and nail to hold on to their prosperity tapes and their prosperity doctrine like you're taking something valuable away from them. See, there's a lust there when they don't want to let it go and don't want to re-examine how they feel about these things. You know, it's like when when people it's single ministry and they would have marriage seminars and all of this kind of stuff. You don't see half of that stuff anymore. Why not? Because people realize that you've got to pray and ask God for what God has for you. And a seminar is not going to do it. You're not going to get in any more uh, 
understanding of God's ways and his purpose for you personally so that you can do the will of God uh, through a seminar than, than anything else. You talk to God. You, you make your covenant with him. And you allow God to bring the right person into your life. You got singles men that almost have a dating service inside the church because people get nervous about single. Don't get nervous about single people. Because if they really want somebody, they'll pray for it. Just like they pray for money, they pray for clothes, they pray for a good job. If they don't ever pray for a spouse, that must tell you something. You don't have to tell people, make people pray for somebody, you know, a companion. You just don't. People who want those things will talk to God about them anyway. So, but I was thinking about uh, years ago when I first was saved, when I first came to the Lord, I was surprised at how much God had me work and help in ministries that service the poor and that fed people. And... uh, even when I wasn't in a church, he would have me, um, there was a, um, uh, an abandoned school that was behind. I had a co-op apartment. We owned our suite and the building is like a six-suite building. And there was a row of them on our street where we lived. And behind it was a school. I said, boy, that was a convenient thing to have for people that had kids living here just hop the fence and go to school you can watch all day long but it they they made neighborhoods like that years ago and but it over over the years enrollment dropped it was an older building and uh some people renovated it and made a senior home there and so over and over again i would see people move in i never saw anybody come out and i thought god i said god those people never come out of there and, and then you stop seeing visitors. You know, somebody, a younger person would move them in, but you didn't see many visitors there either. And so God said, I want you to start ministering to the people there. And so we would, on Thanksgiving, I would get all my family, Pastor Shirley, the kids, and, and my older sister, we would all cook and you know nobody told us you needed a whatever kind of license to do it we just did it you know what i'm saying and uh but this was back in the late 80s and and uh early but late 80s when we did that and we did it for maybe like three years it didn't take anything we cooked the day before heat the food up and put it in boxes just take it across the thing and uh, i was with a women's ministry and people were going around the table talking about what they were going to do on Thanksgiving. And I told them what I was going to do. And I didn't think anything of it. And the president of the ministry said, oh, well, do you need help? I said, well, sure. I said, if you want to help, you can feel free to help. And um, that was the last year God had us do that. And But I, what I did notice about her, she came with maybe one more woman um she later reported that some of the people were hoarding food and see uh, see this is why god doesn't give people certain things to do because in her heart already was a suspicion and a distrust and i watched these people go into this building and have nothing no visitors nobody What's an extra meal to somebody who can't get up and cook their own? I mean, what do you care? 
She didn't put a penny in. She didn't add anything to it. But she went in with this suspicious thing. And, and I began to understand how faith in God puts other people under conviction and under judgment. Because I was willing to do it for God and use my faith to do it. She saw that faith, see, and automatically began to judge against it, to counter judge, see. And, and as believers, we have to watch that kind of stuff. Because just because you don't have a heart to do it, it doesn't mean it's not God. I mean, somebody else has a heart to do it. Let them do it. In fact, sometimes it's best if we stay away and not try to be so helpful. If you're not going to share the heart of the person. That is so important when you're doing ministry, when you're doing having a family, when you're doing anything that when you're a servant of God. You have to make sure that the people you gather around you have the same heart and the same vision. Because they'll destroy a work of God just because they don't want to. They they don't feel in their hearts the same way you do about it. You have to be careful about that kind of stuff. And so uh, it offended me that, that she felt that way. And I talked to God about it later and, and he said, he said, well, he said, you don't know. He said, I may have been telling her to do that all along and she refused to do it because she doesn't have a heart to serve people. And I say, yeah, but she's the president of the ministry and we do this and we do that. He says, a lot of my people go through the motions. He says, their heart's not in things that they do. They just go through the motions. It's very easy to do. We got married people. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Go through the motions of marriage. Just because. They just detach their hearts away from things. But but God wants our heart to be in the things that we do. And and I've found out what really pleases him very early in ministry. It's the things that you do for the least of them. He considers you do that to him. So I fed Jesus for those years. You got me? When we give away clothing, we clothe Jesus. Amen. You know, all the things that we do, that we do for the least of them has high value. He didn't say when you tithe, you've done it unto me. He didn't say when you give offerings, you've done it unto me. You do those things so that you can be fed. So that there can be feeding and meat in his house for you to partake of. Now he'll increase you because you give. But his heart is toward those who do to the least of, of those who do for the least of them. That I know. Don't ever let anybody's teaching on anything that pleases you take you away from that fact. Don't let that move you off of the central theme of the gospel. He came to those who were lost. Came to seek and save those who were lost. The lost include the impoverished. Lost include those who can't, don't have a home, those who are sick, all of that. That's the lost. So, and I believe God had me do those things early in my walk 
because to put lay a foundation in my heart for the things that are important to him so that you don't stray far from your anchor and from your moorings so your anchor is the first place that you land you you anchor your boat there so those first principles that God teaches us that's where he wants us to be anchored amen and so when he starts to lay down that foundation for you you can't move away from that foundation because you'll need compassion to do everything that God wants you to do so that eventually having a healing ministry and a healing anointing I learned how to be faithful with that because of the compassion ministry that he laid down for me at the beginning you see I remember when I, I joined that women's ministry and, and they asked me to serve on the board. I was on my way to make peanut butter sandwiches at a shelter. And God said, no, they're not going to need you there today. I want you to go over here and talk to this person. And that's the door opened for that. But I was totally satisfied with where I was. That's why when I see people clawing and, and, and striving to be, have a title and be a minister, I just can't, you know, I can't stomach it somehow. It's just like, oh, come on now. <laughs> Seriously, you're really gonna spend your life trying to prove to everybody that you're anointed and you're in the flesh like that? Or people who assume titles in every week, there's something different, trying to be lofty. Calling themselves apostle and they don't know what a sign or a wonder or mighty deed is. They're scared of the devil and didn't want anybody to know it. Don't know how to pray. Don't know anything about spiritual authority yet they call themselves with no fear. They have no fear. They have no um, shame. You know, <laughs> think about it. Just, hey, I'll call myself that. False church. Man. So we've got to deal with that, folks. And you've got to stay in the true church. You've got to stay true to God. You've got to stay true to what you know God's heart is. you got to stay true to those things. So that you can have a good showing for him. You, When you get my age, you'll start thinking more and more about, mm, at the end of this journey, what do I have to show? Hmm? Well, we all have the same thing, or should have the same thing, and that's being faithful to what God called us to do. If he called you to big numbers, be faithful to that. If he called you to the one-on-one or small numbers, be faithful to that. If he called you to have a prayer ministry, be faithful, but be faithful. Got me? Because he has many different types of, of walks and, and ministries within this great kingdom of his uh, he has to have people who will reach the everyday person he has to have the people who will take bread to a uh, into a building of people that that can't get out very much and distribute bread to them regularly not every now and then but regularly and so he, he God cares about those things we've got to care about them too we can't just uh, well, you know, we'll, we support this ministry with money. Well, what do you do? Hmm? What do you do? Well, I got a, a big fence around my house. I live in a gated community. Nobody comes in, goes out. I have ushers to bring me in and out. Bodyguards get me to the car. Jesus was holier than we are and he didn't have all that. 
See, it depends on where your heart leads you, folks. You gotta be led. You have to be careful. See, you can't turn your back on yourself for one minute. <laughs> you know, you get carried away. <laughs> you get carried away with yourself. Huh? I know there are times when I'll say, oh, okay, so I gotta buy uh, gifts for people in the church. You know, Pastor Shirley and I split that job up and, and pretty soon I got, oh boy, I forgot to get so and so, or I got, or I've got three of this and four of that and, you know, wrong size or, you know, instead of being careful to be led, you know, so we can all improve. We can all improve. Amen. So I know that God was putting compassion in my heart for for people who didn't have. And it translates over into the anointing. Because people who don't have health, instead of having just, you know, not feeling anything or walking past them, I can let compassion come up in my heart for them. And then one day the door will open with the anointing to minister to that person. You got me? So we have to stay in that place where God can continually work on us. Continually cleanse our hearts. Guard our hearts. Amen? So God was, and and he continued to deliver me from, from lust. For lusting after things. Wanting what I didn't have. And he replaced it with a confidence in an inheritance. Amen. So God will take that lust for things that we say we desire and replace it with a confidence in your inheritance. For instance, uh, uh, Prince Charles has a person that travels with him that pays for things if he sees something that he needs money for. He doesn't even handle his own money. It's, it's like a, an embarrassment for him to be seen filthy lucre. You know, he's royalty, so they don't connect. Got me? Even though he knows who he is and all that kind of stuff, uh, you don't get down in the dirt and start wrestling and lusting after things. God will cause things to come after you. The things will find you. Things that you desire will find you. Amen. So he must replace our lust with a confidence and a knowledge of our personal inheritance. You gotta know who you are in Christ. You gotta have traded your mindset in for the mind of Christ and knowledge of the word. How do you do that? Just renounce the world and meditate on the word day and night. I mean, really meditate. Get that thing inside you. Then when you speak, you speak God's word. When you think, you think God's word. When you need, God's word appears for you and manifests for you. Just that simple. He's always trying to get us to, the enemy is always trying to get us to think the things that God freely gives us, we've got to fight for. You gotta fight God for those things. You gotta wrestle for those things. He really doesn't want you to have it. You didn't do this right, and that's why you don't have it. You didn't do this right, that's why you don't have it. No, you, you, you don't have it because you're wanting it in the wrong way. When you get it straightened out in your insides, the way God wants it to be in your insides, then you will have those things. Amen? Your faith will not work 
with lust in your heart. Faith in God does not work with lust in your heart. And that's what the enemy's design is to get us to lust for things and go overboard in desiring so he can get us in trouble with them. He knows we won't get them from God, but then he'll push us to try to get them on our own. And that's when the trouble comes. And when we desire in verses 2 and 3, it says when we desire and don't obtain, we need to make an adjustment in the way we think about things. Are we obsessed with? When I say obsessed, you want it Monday and you put it out of your mind, it's not coming yet. And then Tuesday it pops back up in there. Got me? It never gets put over into God's care. And so we have to be careful that in our minds we don't start to obsess about certain things. Amen? We have to allow the purifying of our desires to take place. So there is a let it go, let God have it, and allow him time to bring it to you. And don't keep picking it back up again. That's a little challenge because I've been there. I'm sure others have been there with things that we think are very important and, and we got scripture to back us up. When God wants us to be happy, wants to give us desires of our hearts and that's all true. But if it's not on the inheritance schedule for right now, it will not come to us. Amen. So we have to, um, locate an atmosphere where the process of purifying our desires can take place. Got me? You just can't write down a list of stuff you want and start confessing for it and think it's going to happen. Amen? That is so void of respect for God, respect for His plan for you, respect for your inheritance. That's why, you know, I've had people say... um well, I just decided to put the word of God to the test and and I uh, asked God for, you know, something very expensive or something like that. And, and I just began to thank him and confess the word over it. And, and it took me, what somebody said, eight or ten years to get it. And that length of time I said, I can go hold somebody up in a weekend and get it. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's, the, that's the slowest hold up. You got me? I don't know. I mean, it, apparently it worked for them. But if it takes that long to get lust out of your heart so that God can bless you with something, we've got a little bit of a problem there, you know. Um, I know they felt it was an accomplishment and all of that. Same thing with, with large sums of money coming into the ministry. People say things like, well, uh, I confessed, uh, you know, for, uh, I decided I, we needed $10,000 or I wanted to ask God for $10,000 for my ministry. And, and after about six years, somebody wrote a check for $10,000. Well, we got that. Remember we got our bus? We got like $25,000 like in less than a month. I didn't confess for nothing. 
You understand? I just asked God for it. I said, God, we have a need here. And people just started to give. 5,000 here, 5,000 there. Why? I stood on the scripture that God will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches through Christ Jesus. I didn't ask for a brand new one. They were $200,000. We couldn't afford the insurance for that. And we didn't need one. We needed one that would get us safely from one place to the next. People would tell me things like, "How? that's a brand new bus. It looked brand new to everybody. They'd brag on the bus and all that. I'd say, well, they praise you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you that it runs and it runs well. Huh? We invited somebody to come and minister one time in and they got pledges for us for over twenty five by thirty thousand dollars in one weekend. I never confess for anything. Don't let your confession get to be works, folks. And I'm sure that if God gave that to them, there was probably a need for that thing right there. You know what I'm saying? In their lives. <laughs> Or this is the other thing that happens. You spend your your faith challenge ability on material things and then one of your children gets sick and can't get healed. You see how the devil likes to condemn you? Oh, you, you got all that money in. How come you can't get them healed? The faith is faith. You, you, you gotta be careful playing around with the world's goods, folks. Devil's got a snare set up for us. I mean, he really does. And to focus your faith on something that perishes and then to later fail at something that's dear to your heart, It's not the principal thing that faith is for. Faith is for you to live for God every day. You need that so bad just to get up every morning and be able to move without creaking and without making noise. Amen. To be able to, to put your pants legs on one at a time without falling over. Huh? Be able to get them down in time to go to the bathroom on time. You understand what I'm saying? Come on, folks. Now, this is where we live. Faith is for taking care of you where you live. It's not for make-believe things. I'm serious. I got up this morning and I thought to myself, I said, You know what, God? I'm going to put on my tablet... I said, because what I started doing was letting my tablet play Isaiah 53. He was wounded for my transgressions. I told the Lord, I said, God, I want a plan to keep myself well and to improve in my health. I said, I want my youth to spring back. I want my health to spring back. I want all of these things. And so I decided I was going to let Isaiah 53 Play and and listen to the word and confess it as I was listening to it, and 
it has helped me greatly because I was telling God one morning I was walking. I said, what is that noise? It happened every time I took a step. I said, is that something clicking on the inside of my body? I said, I usually don't hear no noise when I woke. I said, oh Lord, let me get rid of that noise. Give me some earmuffs. Or something. So I decided I was having none of it. First I was trying to get scared of it. I said, no God, I'm not going to be scared of my own body. I'm going to have none of this. So I decided to go to war. To win my function back again. Etc, etc. So, so you, you, that's what faith is for. It's for the things that you need every day. You got to, the just shall live by faith. You've got to have the word, uh, guiding your life. You gotta have the word ministering to your soul. You gotta have the word ministering to your body to keep it functioning and healthy and well. Amen. So we have to keep ourselves. You've got to locate an atmosphere where the process of of getting lust out and putting confidence in God in can take place. So so in verse six, it shows what that is. He says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, saith God, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proud people think if they confess the word enough, they'll get it. That they're entitled to have certain things because God's word says so. They just go shopping through the word on their own, outside of the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that resisting the devil means resisting the temptation to desire ahead of your inheritance. See, it's good to desire your inheritance, folks. It's good. War to stay in faith for your inheritance. But don't war to hang on to lust for things that will perish, the Bible says, at the using. Hmm? Sometimes you look around and you say, man, I've accumulated a lot of stuff I don't even use anymore. You got me? Lust did that. You saw it and you thought, we didn't dawn on you, you got one of those already. Hmm. And so humble yourselves and humble yourself will tell you, uh-uh, you got one of them already, Barb, you don't need that. You know, I talk about my collection of cooking utensils like I'm not going to get any more ever again. You know, I buy fewer of them now than I ever did. And now I'm careful. And see, because I use my faith for stuff to work well all the time, they seldom break down. You know, I had a a, a KitchenAid, a perfectly good KitchenAid stand mixer I gave to somebody just because I wanted the updated version. And the updated one doesn't do as good a job as the other one that I had. So I learned my lesson. But I was able to give that one away to somebody. It was perfectly good. And I know them things don't wear out. They got a motor like a, a car almost on those things. You ever try to pick one of them up? You hurt yourself. 
and and you can run a lot of other gizmos off of that same motor. They got one that gives you a manicure, one that does your toes, one that you know <laughs> does your elbow. You know what I'm saying? It does everything. And so uh, I know they don't wear out, but that didn't stop me from wanting another one. See, lust. And so that all I'm saying is that humility will keep. God, do I really need this? Now I'm going to use it and see. If I knew how I would feel about the new one at the time I was lusting after it, I wouldn't have bought it. And so what we have to do is ask God to put us in that place of what's going to be like if it doesn't work out kind of thing. Understanding that there's a future um, disappointment that he's trying to spare us of in the now. And just and that's humility. See, humility puts it before God and refuses to fight to hold on to it by lust and allow God to have it. I was trying to think of what car I was going to buy. And I thought to myself, well, it's not even time to think about that. That one's only 20 years old. (laughs) I mean, I bought it to last forever. See, your, your original intent about things and your faith in things will cause them to go a long way, folks. A long way. I bought it three years old from a gentleman who seldom used it, but I noticed after I'd had it about a month, the transmission started going bad. So I replaced that. Well, I didn't replace it. General Motors replaced it. You understand what I'm saying? I don't play with people. I really don't. Um, you know, I just asked God. I said, well, God, I just got this. I said, I know there's no warranty. The warranty, it was a f- the five-year, 50000 And it was five years and like three months. So I called GM. If you ever notice, if you ever read your owner's manual, <laughs> if you get to the back, it has a number that you can call. I forget what they call it, but it's like if you you don't get satisfaction under their contract. You call these people. And so I'd called them once before. And so I called them, explained to them, I said, well, listen, I buy Cadillac because I believe you make a superior product to everybody else. And it was true. I wasn't just schmoozing them. I said, I don't invest in inferior. Oh, no, ma'am, we we do. We stand behind. I said, well, listen, this is what happened. So they said, well, would you settle for, the first settlement didn't sound so high. I said, no, I don't think that's quite. Well, okay, we'll supply the transmission. Would you pay for the labor to get it put in? So I said, okay, I'll go for that. And so once I got the defect from the center I bought it from off of it, then it was dedicated to God. Got me? And it's run ever since. That was 1999 or 2000 I bought it. It's 18 years ago. It, motor never had a problem out of it. Huh? Um, they say things about that motor and I believe them. Now I'm going to keep you to your word, Cadillac. You tell me this motor is such and such and such and such and I believe you and Powertrain's perfect. Nothing's wrong with that car. I think I just replaced a muffler a couple years ago, something like that, only because I was advised by the nephews. You know, some things you 
you can't ignore. But I'd ignore it as long as I could. And call it good stewardship. You know what I'm saying? But on advice. Same thing with the starter. I got sick of putting new starters in. I said this one's got to last. I'm not doing this again. That kind of stuff. They didn't like me starting my car up by faith. And I said I'm not going to ask you to come get me. (laughs) With my fingers behind my back. I said listen. I got. You don't know what I got. Honey I got towing. I got people. Didn't know if I had it or not. Just happened I did. It was free on a credit card I had. You understand what I'm saying? Well, that's how I live. I just, you know, y'all don't live like that if you, you don't feel that too. But it's, I confess it first and then expected to show up. So you have to keep an atmosphere around you. That keeps lust exposed. Or it's easy to fall into. And that atmosphere is one of humility before God. And laying everything down. That you desire. And pick up your inheritance. And say God just bring it to me the way you want to bring it to me. And I will be satisfied. Amen. May just make a declaration. God I will be satisfied with the life you have for me. If you get disgruntled, he knows how to help you out. Amen. He sticks a piece of fruit in your mouth. Chew on this patience. Amen. Chew on kindness. Chew on meekness. Chew on that stuff for a season. And see if that don't help you out. But we must wait for God to lift us up. And he will. He will lift you up and give you the desires of your heart. That's that's your That's your promise to him. He will give it to you. There's no doubt he will. But we're to keep our minds stuck on God's ways that never fail. Amen. His ways never fail. You have to keep guard over your heart with all diligence. Stay off the magazines, off the internet and looking at stuff and go look at your word. Bless you. That'll get you off the internet real quick. You put your Bible thing up there, your little Bible app up there. (laughs) But I'm telling you, the body of Christ is being drawn back to God through a greater revelation of who he is, of his love, of his goodness, and of the things that do not perish. The things of the fruit of the Spirit. So once we get tired of being disappointed by the world's ways and we understand that we've been drawn off some kind of way in lust, then we'll be able to come back to God. Lusting after things is exhausting. Chasing after the world's goods only to have them totally escape us over and over again. Amen. It is, is exhausting. So God is correcting it all with a greater revelation of his love and the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. He is doing it by his Spirit. Miracles actually are a revelation of God himself. Amen. It's knowing God. It's part of his glory package that the Bible says the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory, not his wealth. His glory, not his things. 
his kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. Amen? We've got to get his kingdom first, folks. People are afraid to let go of that and say, well, well you, that includes, that includes prosperity. And say, no, we just said his kingdom first. Let him add prosperity to you. Don't be so quick to put words into God's mouth. He said, seek first the kingdom and things will be added. That's a thing. No? That's not kingdom. Bible calls mammon of this world. Amen? So it's, it's not of God's kingdom. So you gotta get the kingdom in you first. You got the king revelation of who he is. You got to get that in you first. Or nothing else will be added. Now you can get stuff and you can run after it. But it will cause you to be in debt. It'll cause you to be disgruntled. It'll cause you to be impoverished. It'll cause you to leave nothing for your children or your grandchildren. All the things you desire to do when you're in a good mood. <laughs> Every now and then you think, oh, I could leave something. To- <laughs> Good man leaves an inheritance. <laughs> right. You know, I, that should be a prayer for you every day. And and ask God how to lay down the groundwork for those things. Amen. I would say by seeking the kingdom and his righteousness and allowing him to add things to you. In Luke chapter 5, here's a, an example of how miracles are a revelation of God himself. His presence is strong in the miracle working atmosphere. I've taught this scripture before and and God's always admonished me. He said don't leave out the reaction (laughs) to the miracle. Because that's what I'm after. Amen. So um, verse 1. It came to pass that as the people pressed on him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them. Were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships. Which was Simon's. And asked him that he would just go out a little from the land. Give people time. You know room to congregate around. You know don't go out fishing. Just move me out so I can use your boat. And he taught the people out of the ship. That was his advantage. He asked for an advantage. In his ministry. Now when he had left speaking. He said to Simon. Now I want you to launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. Simon answering him said to him. Master. We have toiled all night. Taken nothing. Nevertheless at your word. I will let down the net. Now here was an atmosphere. Already of holiness. When Jesus. When the word of God. Is in the atmosphere. It creates an atmosphere of holiness. And obedience to it. And manifestation. That is a different atmosphere. Than normal preaching. You got me? Miracle working atmosphere. I must say it again. Carries with it. The ability to persuade people to believe it. Even when their will is stuck against it. And people say, well, God won't do anything. Uh, give me a break. You think God's going to let the word fall, world fall apart just because we don't want to do stuff for him? 
When he says he's going to do something, he does it. Amen? Now, the Bible says that if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you are entitled to what? Prophet's reward. So the prophet's reward atmosphere is a miracle working atmosphere. That's why God wants us to obey his prophets and prosper. That means you get your miracle, you get what you need, you get bills paid, you get totally out of debt, you get the miracle. Something that would take you 10 years to work for, you get in one day. And you can't figure out how you sowed anything to do it. But we do see here that Peter had allowed the Lord to use his boat. God says that when you lend to him, he will repay you. So Peter is due a reward from God. He didn't do it for the reward from God, but he is due a reward from God anyhow. So he says, we've toiled all night, took nothing. In other words, we tried that, God. You ever been told by God to do something and it finally works? You've been doing it over and over again for the longest time. Never got any results. It's a blessing. So and he said but nevertheless at your word. I'll let down the net. So here Peter comes. With his will. With a lust for rest. Huh? We did that already. We all even washed the nets. I'm done for the day. But the word of God is so powerful against his opposition that he caves in. See, you want an atmosphere like that around you. How many times have we said, you know, I, I thought, I, I, I felt like God was telling me to do, or something told me to do this and I didn't do it and it wound up, it would have been God, it would have worked for me anyway if I'd done it. It happens all the time. So what we are in most of the time is not a miracle working atmosphere. But a miracle working atmosphere will cause you to do that thing that you usually refuse to do because you said something told you and you don't believe it's going to work out. He says here, at your word, I'll let it down. When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets broke. And they called unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came, filled both ships, so that they both began to sink. Now this is an immeasurable blessing. Got me? When there's an overflow in a situation, what that means is that there is a revelation there that will work over and over and over again. Just like the widow with the oil. The oil continued to pour and the only thing that stopped, the pour was available. It was how to contain it that was limited. But the pour is always there. The spout from God is always full. There's always something pouring out from heaven in these situations. Same thing with Peter. It just happened that they only had two boats. He had one partner. Between them they had two boats. If he'd had a fleet of ships, they would have been filled too. 
because there there was so much here that they both began to sink. You see, nobody confessed for it. Nobody believed for it. It came as an inheritance of obedience to God for being obedient to allow Jesus to use that ship. It probably also is reflective of much obedience in the past to him. So we don't know what thing to do or not to do to trigger God to do something. We just have to obey him continually. So the continual obedience, the prophet's reward, all of those factors come into play on this occurrence. And then all of a sudden it's time for Peter to receive. Selling this much fish would take care of his family probably for a year. So what that does is that frees him up to go and learn the ministry from Jesus. So there are a lot of things involved here that God is doing to help him. Amen. The other thing it shows is that God will not cause you to have to pay for your own discipleship. He pays the price for that. Got me? That's why we don't charge tuition for this school of ministry. You just come and give a free will offering like you do every time you come in here. You got me? It's it's good to keep things more biblical. When you, people start paying money, they expect you to give them something. You can't give them the anointing. I can't give you. It's not for sale. You either receive of it from God because you please him in what you do or however he passes it out or he's promised it to you. But nobody can guarantee God's going to anoint you. Are you kidding me? You get those things by faith and you can't pay to get it. And he says his partners were in the other ship. They came, filled both ships, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he didn't get excited about the fish. So it wasn't the money. It wasn't the wealth. It wasn't the prosperity. It wasn't the material. That he was after. It couldn't have been. Because he had given up for the day. He's going to put that away. And go fish another day. It's amazing how. Being led by the spirit of God. Can save us a whole night's toil. Hmm? They would fish at night. Because. Uh, you know the nets weren't as visible. The ocean's black at night. You got me? So they kind of had to sneak up on the fish to make sure they got something. Which means you stay up all night where everybody else is sleeping. You understand? Toil. And Peter said we toiled all night and didn't get anything. In other words, our labor is hard. See, lust for money will cause you to toil all day and all night for things. Huh? Huh? Looking for all the overtime you can get and you still don't have. Man. So you just gotta learn how to receive your inheritance from God. If you know you got an inheritance, you don't have to toil for it. It's coming. All you gotta do is be cool. 
And don't get crazy. So when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He didn't say anything about the fish. He said, Ooh, we look what we got. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for my blessing. I'm just going to show shout and go my, get my testimony in church. I'm just going to tell everybody. What did he say? He fell on his knees in front of the Lord saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Hmm? He really felt unworthy for what God had just given him. Who? What caused that? How come he wouldn't jump and shout and hallelujah run and telling all the saints and He was astonished at what he took in, but he didn't remark about it. He felt so unworthy that he just didn't feel like he should even be around Jesus. Somebody who's so holy and able to do. What, 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 I'll tell you what it was. It's the atmosphere. The miracle working atmosphere is a holy atmosphere. It brings a high degree of repentance and, and, and awareness of your sin in a miracle working atmosphere. Huh? You become very much aware. So you're not sitting up jumping and saying, well, I confessed and I got it and I did this and no, you didn't, didn't, you missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. Probably when you started confessing, you had a heart full of lust for those things. And maybe it took 10 years for God to erase that out of there so your faith would work. And then suddenly it showed up one day. You got me? So the more you begin to grow and understand the things of God, the higher the bar is set for you in your heart. Henry Groover gives this testimony. Hopefully I have enough time. I'll end with this. One of his, his walking trips, and this was after he had been walking for many years. God spoke to him and said, Henry, would you be willing to never see your wife and your children again on this side of glory? And Henry, now this is a man who wants nothing. He prays for the enough money to take care of his wife and kids while he's gone. He's not a prosperity guy. He ain't nothing like that. And so Henry said he he just cried. It just broke him. He said, Lord, I, I don't know if I can do that. And he, this went on for three days. And he said at the end of it, the Lord showed him all the miracles that God had done for him. Little boy, the baby that was born dead with the cord wrapped around his neck three times. God gave him life. The little, the little boy that's, his fingers got cut off in the door and God grew him back off overnight. That kind of stuff. The kid that fell off a climbing board at school and God raised him out of a coma right there at the school. All that stuff. And the Lord said, what could you have done on your own without me. And so Henry said, okay God, I'll, I do, I'll do it. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And, and so I'm telling you that the deep 
is the things that go on in your spirit. They're not the, you know, I've got this material thing because my faith is so great. We gotta get straight, church, or we're not gonna have, we're not gonna have miracle working atmospheres in God. We may get some healings here and there, we may get some salvations, but you won't get the glory God wants us to carry that's needed in the earth. There's too much evil for the church to be superficial. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father, thank you for your word and for giving us understanding of your heart, what's important to you. Father, I pray that we we can seek your heart more. We can seek to be closer to you. Seek to just feel what you feel and see things from your perspective more. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for that. Give it to all of us, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Did I make it, Miss J-Lo? Yay! <laughs> Praise God.